0: Love Talk Radio.
1: This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Twitter at Creativity Play and at Facebook as well. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Stephen Gross, Chief Playmaker with the Life is Good Kids Foundation and the Life is Good Playmakers program which uses play to strengthen and heal children whose lives have been deeply impacted by trauma. On the national level, they've trained and credentialed over 1,000 professionals who work with children, and the organization made a two-year commitment following Hurricane Katrina to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, where they trained more than 400 early child care providers to lead therapeutic play groups with more than 8,000 children. Internationally, Gross has implemented child trauma intervention projects, with the Center for Trauma Psychology in response to the greatest tragedies of our time. Following the massive Turkish earthquakes of 1999 and 2000, Gross helped create a classroom-based trauma intervention that helped surviving children regain a sense of safety, share their stories of survival, and plan, hopefully, for the future. To date, this intervention has served more than 250,000 children around the world, including in Indonesia, Sri Lanka, Gaza, Sudan, Burundi, and Nepal. Stephen Gross, welcome to Creativity and Play.
2: Thank you. So happy to be on with y'all.
1: Thanks. well, you get around a little bit?
2: Yeah, uh, a little bit. Get,
1: um, from your master's in social work background to leading play-based interventions, helping kids facing trauma such as violence, poverty, illness, both in your own backyard in the Boston area as well as halfway across the world. Well,
2: well it was... It was A very interesting journey, but, I mean, using play with children for any reason really was the only thing that made sense to me um, because it was the only thing that was effective. Um, You know, once you start that kind of playful exchange and engagement and build a connection and trust, you you open the door to children to begin to putting – Trusting relationship together, you know I look at at play really as just being a container for a relationship, and what better way to start building a relationship with a child than to you know to play with them and and from there, you know, I was just fortunate i mean one of the biggest blessings of the work is you meet so many great people along the way who are doing so many interesting things. And when they know of the work that you're involved in, and for instance, with with Turkey, I was working with a gentleman by the name of Robert Macy, who um, at that time was at the Trauma Center and was working for the Center of, for Trauma Psychology, and was asked by the Turkish government to develop a, a response to the earthquakes in in Turkey. And so he put together, he started to put together an intervention. He started to say, well, if this is for kids, we really need play to be a central part of it. And, hey, let me talk to Steve Gross, who's a friend and a colleague and who knows a lot about play. And, you know, in addition to him bringing me on the team to develop the the play area of the intervention he would work with you know he brought a dance therapist to talk about integrating dance and an art therapist how do we integrate art and a drama therapist so how do we you know integrate acting performing singing dancing as ways of helping kids to share their story because there's many different ways to share your story and where adults might be comfortable talking and telling their story, a child might be um more comfortable sharing their story in other ways. Maybe through through art, maybe through play, maybe through enactment and games. So that that's kind of paved the way and opened the door to to really getting our work out out away from, you know, in, in the Boston area but the Boston area and beyond. And was can, can your also- sir- share...
0: Steve, could you share a couple uh, stories, individual stories about how kids, um, how they shared their stories in ways that were perhaps different than adults might
2: in any of the venues you've been in? <clears throat> I mean, I, I think that that one of the ways um, that that children share stories. So one of the ways when we when we worked with this um, classroom-based intervention would be to ask children to tell a story um, using Paper and art supplies. So that would be one, you know, like, so using um, oil pastels and use, using this paper, can you tell a story about a time that you felt joyful at play? And so children would then draw, you know, put this picture down on, on the paper, and you'd really de-emphasize that it's not an art project. It's about telling a story. So kids would, you know, a lot of kids would say, like, well, I'm a terrible drawer. Say, well, it this, this doesn't really matter. You know about mm-hmm. how well we draw. We all have you know incredible stories to tell. And then what what we would do from that is you know in a phase of starting to look at moments the kids had that were really joyful. And then asking people, would you do you want to share your story? And can you? Sh-? And and then they'd be talking about the drawing, but in talking about the drawing, they're actually talking about their story, which was kind of a less kind of you know a, a A less intimidating way of saying, hey, tell us all about a time that you felt joyful and strong. You know, it's like, let's take some time and actually draw about kids. You know, come up with very elaborate stories, whether they were playing baseball or skiing or hiking, and then you'd ask them to share, you know, to to share their, their drawing and so they're talking about it but there's also a little bit they're a little bit removed from it so the level of detail that they go into can be even greater and then once you have that foundation of trust you may even ask kids to talk about you know their stories of you know what happened when they first noticed that the ground was shaking and can you tell a story about that using um oil pastels and paper um another way that we do it is through games and activities so for instance you might play a game that's similar to tag And you may say to kids, um, okay, well, this this is the safe base, and so all you guys are safe when you're on this base, and everyone's going to be trying to get these cones, and those are spread out here, and those cones all represent things that you want. And then in the middle, these grown-ups here, your teachers, and so they're going to try to tag you. So if you're off the base, they can tag you. And if you get tagged, you have to freeze and you can't get back into the game until one of your teammates comes over and tags you and rescues you. So you set up this game that's like any other tag game. And then you start to ask, so what should we pretend that this safe base is? Does anyone have a safe, you know, a safe place that they have that they'd like to pretend this is? And kids start to talk about what's a safe place to them. Then we might ask them, well, what are the things out there in the environment? What are these cones? What do you want them to represent? What are the things in, in, out there in the world that you want? And so they can imagine that those cones could be um, family members that they miss, so that they don't get to see those cones. Could be material things like money or cars, or you know, I mean, it's funny when you ask a kid what do they want, they say they want a car, and be like, dude, you hate What are you gonna do with a car? But but mm-hmm. you know, there's, they have fantasies, and then you talk about, well, what are the things in the environment, the dangers out there, the challenges that are stopping you from getting what you need, and then through the framework of the game, all these elaborate discussions can come up, because someone will start talking about a safe place, and then someone will start talking about challenge and danger, and then you create an environment where kids will then begin sharing their stories, and some child might say, you know, my safe place was my grandmother's house, but my grandma's house doesn't exist anymore, my grandmother's gone. So I don't have that safe place anymore. And we might say, well, what what, what was safe about it? And there are other places, you know, no place can ever replace your grandma's home, but do you think you can, are there other places that might also be safe places for you that will be, that, that are like your grandma's home? So, you know, through those, the games and activities, kids then begin to share their stories and their narrative.
0: Yeah, know, I also am thinking and wondering what happens when you, you've been there in whatever venue, say Turkey, and then you're leaving. So what happens on the leaving? Are there people left behind in transition for the kids and families?
2: That's the beauty of the work. We don't do the work in Turkey. So the whole focus of the Playmakers is providing intensive training and support and resources to frontline local child care providers who will be implementing and sustaining the interventions. So we know, I mean, the way you change and the way you heal communities is by empowering the people of those communities, especially the adults of those communities, um, to best take care, care of and heal and strengthen their own children. So the work was never, hey, I mean, it would be impossible. I mean, it would be very challenging. I don't speak Turkish. So... The the work, whether it's in Turkey or even whether it's in Boston, you know, if we're doing a training for teachers at Boston Public School, well, I'm not a Boston Public School teacher. I'm not seeing the kids every day. Neither is my team. So what we do is identify who are those key stakeholders in, in the lives of children, and then how do we help them to have the insights, the artistry, the skills so that they play the central role of healing and strengthening kids in their community, whether that's community is South Boston or whether it's Ankara, Turkey. Um, it's it's really the same model.
0: Thank you, Steve.
2: A lot of the
1: examples that, that you just shared with us about the ways you engage in play are such great examples, I think, of, of you guys applying your imagination to how do you engage kids in new ways. And sort of picking up on that theme, you you spoke recently at a conference in Connecticut called Healing the Generations about uh, the role of creativity and arts in, in trauma for kids and adults. And I'm wondering if you can just pick up a little bit on that and, and say more about the connection between creativity and trauma as it, as it plays out in the work that you do.
2: Sure. Well, you know, and... And when we talk about even in, in the, the work that we do in trying to communicate the work of the Life is Good Kids Foundation, we've kind of deliberately chosen not even to use the word trauma and to to use, we, we've talked about helping children overcome life-threatening challenges and whether those challenges are the result of poverty, whether they're the challenges of being exposed to violence or a disaster. Um, what we've kind of found is that for a lot of kids, trauma you know, we used to describe trauma as, you know, when, when, when children were having a difficult time after being exposed to a traumatic event, I was trained in my early years to be able to tell a child, you know what, you're having a normal reaction to an abnormal event. So if God forbid a friend of theirs was shot. And finally one day a kid looked at me and said, an abnormal event, where the hell are you from? You know, in my neighborhood, this isn't an abnormal event. We have people get shot, you know, all the time. My cousin was shot. My brother was shot. My uncle was shot. So the the reason I'm bringing this up is this idea of, you know, life is a traumatic experience in the sense that if we live long enough, we are all going to be exposed to things that happen in life that rock us to our core, that make us question whether we are safe and protected, make us question whether we're strong enough or worthy of us, make us question if there really is joy and purpose in life. Um, I think it happens to everybody. And so part of the idea of, of crea- you know, creativity really stems, in my opinion, from someone being fully engaged. You can't be creative unless you're fully present and engaged. And when you are in that space of complete engagement in the moment, you are capable of creating. What happens with trauma is it robs kids of being engaged in the moment. Because if something really terrible happens, well, one thing is you're worried that it's going to happen again, so you're thinking about the future and that's making you nervous and you're preoccupied by it. And the other thing is you're stuck in the past of when that terrible thing actually happened. So you get kids that are kind of in the moment, but their mind is not there. And in some ways, their body's not there. They're all kind of reacting to um, or preoccupy a past that hurt them and preoccupied by a future that terrifies them. And so part of the work is once you get children to feel engaged and safe and connected in the moment, those are the early seeds of creativity. And... You know, especially allowing children. It's just so interesting with our work. As adults, we tend to, even when we play with children, we tend to lead children's play. We tend to generate more ideas than the kids do. We tend to show the kids the right or the wrong way of doing things instead of throwing the question out. And and I'll give you an example. You know, you, you have a group of kids and a teacher with a parachute. And so the teacher may have the parachute with the kids and start teaching the kids, hey, let's go down and up and under and let's do this and that. Instead of just throwing the question out to the kids and go, hey, hey, everybody, we have 20 kids and we have one parachute. What do you think we could do with this? And opening that up, even with things like blocks, hey, we have 400 blocks, we have a mat here, we have this. What do you think we can do? Um, And really letting kids take a leadership role in the play and listening to children's ideas. And then once you've listened to enough ideas, sure, you can contribute an idea, uh, you know, an idea or two. Um, But children have an expertise in play that in some ways is more advanced than we have as adults. I think we tend to, as adults, can grow out of playfulness. So part of what has opened our eyes to the creative aspects of the play is what also makes the work easier as an adult is by asking kids and empowering kids to make key decisions. And then you really kind of open the door to what's possible. Sometimes kids will throw out a suggestion that doesn't seem to make sense from your adult perspective. So they may ask you to do something with the parachute that seems impossible and, or it might seem dangerous and so, instead of saying to the child, well, that's dangerous, we can't do that." you know the child might say well let's we want to have let's have somebody stand in the middle of the parachute, and all the kids will lift it up and you know that if that happens, a child could fall and fall through and hurt themselves. The response of the adult instead of "Well, we can't do that is, "Well, wow, if we do that, what could happen to the child in the middle, and are there some ways that we could do something similar but also keep it safe so you keep." you keep kind of putting children in a role where they are thinking creatively and they're looking at ways to address challenges.
0: So, Steve, uh, often when I talk to adults about the benefits of play, they give me a quizzical look because they feel, how many adults feel in our culture that play is for kids and not for them. And so, one of the things I hear you saying is that play helps us uh, helps us all, whether we're kids or adults make help us make creative decisions and to take some action. So, um, what do you have to say about that and other benefits? Yeah, I
2: mean, I think you know, any I I think a lot of folks, and and you know, I'm not saying that like, hey, I, I got it figured out or we have it figured out. I mean, we learn every day, but one of the things that I feel very strongly about is that play is not about a type of activity. It's not a category of activity. So this is play and this is not. I think play is a way of engaging whatever it is that you do. You know, play is not about what you do. It's about how you do it. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about any adult and you say, well, let's just look at if you were to do whatever it is that you do, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a firefighter, if you were able to do what you do with kind of more joy, more passion, you were connected more to the people, you had stronger relationships, you were felt empowered and strong in what you did, and you could be creative, would you be better in anything that you do? I mean, I can't think of one situation where higher levels of joy, social connection, creativity, and engagement won't help you. They help you as a parent. They help you as a teacher. They help you as a husband or a wife or a father or an uncle. So in, instead of like, instead of looking at play as, hey, this is an activity, I like to look at play as an approach to any activity under the sun. And so, you know, I have a new baby at home, and it, it hit me the other day, you know, you know I'm, I was signed up by my wife, as most husbands are, to go to a playgroup, you know, with your five-month-old baby and a bunch of other dads. And um, we were running late for the playgroup, and so I was like, okay, well, i got to get my son changed, and i got to dress him, and we got to get in the car, and then we're going to go to our playgroup. Well, I start catching myself rushing getting dressed, changing. (laughs) Uh And I'm saying, well, the the changing and the getting dressed and the ride could be every bit as playful as the playgroup. It's not a means to an end. It's like this every moment. So instead of kind of rushing to get to the playgroup on time just so, you know, my son could fall asleep or listen to the other babies cry, was like, let's take our time changing his diaper Let's sing while we put his outfit on. Let's make it fun to put him in his car seat and get him on the ride. Uh, granted, the ride wasn't all that fun because he doesn't like the car, so there was a lot of crying in the car. But I see that sometimes we we miss all these opportunities to play in order to get to do something that's play. Um, you know, it's like the, the family that's that's struggling to somehow get to the park to have a picnic but the 2 hours leading up to getting to the park to have the picnic are stressful and miserable does you know does the ends justify the means you know um why isn't every moment that leads up to that moments where people can be engaged connected um creative passionate and i know it sounds kind of um you know maybe a little bit superficial but i really when i think about aristotle saying that life should be lived as play um he's not just saying just certain parts of life should be lived as play that 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 every aspect of life can be lived with you know engagement connection and exploration
0: i'm totally with you steve uh, i truly believe in playful living in all areas in every moment so thank you for those
2: Bits of playful
0: wisdom.
2: Well, and can, you know, I just want to add one thing, and I apologize, but you know, I also think it's it's important that I think sometimes playful living gets a bad name because people assume that that means that well, you don't feel sorrow, and you don't feel anxiety, mm-hmm. or you don't feel despair. And part of playful living is really to engage and explore whatever the experience and emotion that you have. So, for instance, it's not about trying to block out what is hurtful. It's can you experience it? Can you feel it? You know, we talk about sometimes, can you attend a funeral playfully? And it doesn't mean showing up and telling jokes. It means showing up, being at peace with being engaged and actually feeling what you feel and being okay with what you feel, Um, exploring that emotion. It's about being able to look at the... The life of the person that you're honoring and see the goodness of what you, you know, what you learn from that person. It's about being able to connect with the other people who are also mourning the loss and being present for that experience. That's playful living. Playfulness doesn't need to be trivial. It doesn't need to have just levity. It doesn't need to be all smiles and laughs. Um... And I think sometimes when people hear, well, you should live playfully, it's like, well, what is this guy talking about? I mean, life is hard. There's sad things that happen. There's challenges that happen. Um, And and all playful living means in those situations is the ability to feel what you feel, the ability to, you know, continue to, to explore and engage and not withdraw from life when those things happen.
0: Absolutely. We just had our beloved basset hound die and I actually with my husband we did a play video about Sam and mm-hmm. our grief and during the videotaping I was crying and playing about and telling his some stories about him and and then we both both my husband and I sobbed after we did the video, but so to, sh- to help ourselves and help others see that play and grief can go together, just as you're saying. So thank you. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I'm sorry about your dog. Oh, thank
0: you, and congratulations on your new son.
2: Thanks. Yeah, I thought I knew joy, um, but I'm 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 getting to have a second childhood, maybe even a third childhood. Um. Great. Well,
1: I'm. Wanted to pick up on the um what you were describing a little bit ago about um letting letting kids lead and I suspect that's probably also reflective in, in your baby and letting him lead in the play that's in your life right now. Uh but it was making me think about uh that what you were describing and, and knowing that you work a lot with kids as you said earlier that are in very challenging situations, but of course that's as true in the everyday classroom in in our schools, and are not letting kids lead or be creative oftentimes or as much as as we could and I'm wondering if you do work as well in those settings and just everyday classrooms and schools to help teachers and parents and others who work with kids become more yeah. open to how to draw out or allow the natural play and creativity to happen more more freely.
2: Yeah, we're very fortunate, you know, to get a chance to work with um, teachers and schools and principals and um, school psychologists. And, and, and one of the things I love about the model is, you know, when we go into a collaboration like that, we don't come in as the experts. Um, and that the people who are showing up for the training, well, they're the trainees and we're the trainers and we're the experts and they're there to learn. Um, if I, I'm not a classroom teacher, so I don't have the expertise of what does it take to run and, and, and work with an effective classroom. So when we have classroom teachers come in, we share with them some of our knowledge and expertise around the importance of play, the importance of play from a social, emotional, physical, psychological level, um, the impact of, of frightening events and trauma on play, and brain development. And then combine that expertise with the teacher's expertise around teaching and educating children. And then how do you combine those expertises to create something really powerful? So once you have these principles down, like one of the basic principles that we have about play is that we've broken down play. we created a definition for playfulness as um, the motivation to freely and joyfully engage with, connect with, and explore the surrounding world. Now, there's nothing in that definition. I mean, that definition is what education is all about, about engaging, connecting, and exploring with the world. So it's one of those things where it's easy to talk about, but how do you execute it and how do you do it? So... um, Working with teachers, and we've we've taken that definition and then saying, okay, well, we look at there being four domains of playfulness. Number one is joyfulness. Something is really difficult to be playful if you don't feel a sense of joy in it. Um, The other piece is social connection. You know, we need relationships. We'll never reach our true play potential without the love and support of a community. doesn't mean we don't want to play alone sometimes, but we need that support. We're, We're herd animals. Um, The third piece is this idea of um, internal control, kids feeling safe and confident. And the fourth one is active engagement. How do you get kids to feel engaged and passionate and creative? And so the work in schools is saying, well, how do you take the – let's look at a lesson plan. Let's look at a curriculum that you're using,
1: and are there ways
2: to make it more joyful? Are there ways to make it more socially connecting? Are there ways to create an environment in the classroom so that kids feel safer and more empowered in the classroom? What are some ways that kids can tap into their own creativity? So you're asking people to look at a framework and then modify and adapt their work so that you're basically doing, you know, having a classroom environment that's more joyful, connecting, empowering, and engaging. And, um... So some of that stuff is, you know, the integration of games and activities in the classroom. Um, Some of that is also we work with folks and we we develop, um, we have a specialist that we work with, with Boston Public School's name is Dwayne Nunez, who helps with something called playful curriculum adaptations. Because teachers will say, well, we have this boring curriculum that we have to use. And, you know, curriculums aren't necessarily boring. I mean, yes, some are better than others, but I think it's, Teachers that can be boring. You know, you can teach boring stuff in in a somewhat exciting way. So what control do teachers have so they can take a curriculum that may seem constraining, but how do I bring more joy to it? How do I bring more connection to it? Um, And and, and that's really the focus because in in any environment that you're working with kids, you're going to have a much better time. If a kid shows up at school and is having some fun in school, if they feel loved and accepted in school, if they feel safe and respected in the school, and if they feel engaged or excited about what's going on in school, they're going to get a better education. Um, And and so, you know, really working teachers are some of our best playmakers, and what we refer to as a playmaker is just somebody who's dedicated their lives to helping children and doing so in a playful way.
1: Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today to explore these topics.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure, man.
1: Stephen Gross is Chief Playmaker with the Life is Good Kids Foundation and Life is Good Playmakers. You can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests and coming shows at creativityandplay.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg.
0: And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you, Steve, for joining us. I hope we oh, can my follow pleasure. up with Playmakers. Me.